We're going to be in the book of uh, Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Uh, Mark is the second gospel, second book of the New Testament, if you'd like to follow along. Um, so yeah, Mark 1, 1 through 8. Not in the book of Jobs. <laughs> Not in the book of Jobs. The book of Mark. <clears throat> the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. So some context for that verse, as I'm sure, or those verses, excuse me, as I'm sure many of you know, is that Israel is in a time of anticipation, waiting for the coming Lord, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And so they're waiting. And before we get into how Israel waited and how God uh, commanded and asked that they might wait for Christmas, the coming of the Lord, I'm going to tell you about how I like to wait for Christmas when I was a little kid, when I was a young warthog. So when I was young, uh, I loved, and I still do love Christmas. It's my favorite season, or my favorite season. It's my favorite holiday. Advent is my favorite season. And so... Christmas. I loved it. And when I was a kid, there are two particular things that I'd like to uh, hone in on um, in my childhood and in my teenage years in the ways that I like to wait. One, when I was a kid, I really loved and still do love decorations. I love them. Now that I'm an adult, though, I understand how much it sucks to put up Christmas decorations. <laughs> it is awful. But when I was a kid, I didn't know that because I didn't have the job and the task of putting up the annoying decorations because I probably would have broken them. But when I was a kid, I loved them. And I would always anticipate, like, after Thanksgiving, when are we going to put out the Christmas decorations? And so this kind of rhythm that I got into is I would get off of the school bus when I was a little kid. And it was probably about a quarter-mile walk to my house. And when I got off the bus, I couldn't see my house. It was out of my line of vision. It was too far away. There were trees and other houses and things in the way, so I couldn't see it. And what I would do, basically, after Thanksgiving, once I got back to school, uh, I would walk down the street, and I would anxiously anticipate uh, when I could finally see my house, when it would break into view. And the reason that I would anxiously anticipate is because once I saw my house, I would know whether or not my mom had begun putting up Christmas decorations because we had bushes and she'd put lights out and like a wreath out. And we had this uh, sled from like the 50s that we put on our front porch. And for like two or so weeks, I would always get home and have utter disappointment and be utterly heartbroken because mom had not put out the Christmas decorations and it was the absolute worst. And I would get home and I'd throw my backpack down on the floor and be like, Mom! Where are the Christmas decorations? And she would be like, Drew, shut up. We'll get there. <laughs> she wouldn't tell me to shut up. She's going to listen to this later. Mom, I'm sorry. 
You did not tell me to shut up. And if you did, I deserved it. Anyway, so Christmas decorations. I love them. Another uh, way that I would anticipate Christmas and something that I would look forward to, like most children and teenagers in our world, and honestly, probably like most people in this room, is the presents. I loved waiting for Christmas presents. I loved opening my Christmas presents. And I'm going to give you an example, teenagers and kids, of what not to do when you're waiting for presents. One year, when I was in eighth grade, I was waiting for my presents, and I had asked that year for a PSP. They had just come out. If you don't know what a PSP is, it is a PlayStation Portable. It's like a Game Boy, but for PlayStation is essentially what it was. And I wanted it really bad. And I got very impatient. And so I knew where my parents hid my presents. It was in a closet, and the door was locked. But I knew where the key was hidden in my parents' room. And so one day, my parents weren't home, and I just snuck my way into the room, opened my mom's jewelry box, took the key out, went in there, and I opened the door, and it was just like a bunch of stuff. It was a storage room. And my mom must have been expecting that I might do this because she had hidden the PSP in the room, but I found it. And so I knew that year I got a PSP, and I didn't tell my mom for years. I've since confessed my sins, and I've been forgiven of my transgression. But that's how I would wait. I loved decorations, and I loved presents, and that was the only time that I peaked, the only time I peaked for presents. Other than that, I would just shake them and pick them up and feel their weight and stuff like that. The Israelites had also been kind of waiting for their own Christmas, their own time of celebration. And they read the scriptures, and they would retell the stories of Abraham and Moses and Isaiah, and they would eagerly await for the coming Lord, because things were not as they should be. Things weren't good, and they needed a Savior. And so they waited, and their waiting probably didn't look like putting up pine trees in their house and lights on their house and things like that. It probably wasn't that fun. And so they had been waiting for years and years and hundreds upon hundreds of years, waiting for this coming Messiah. And then John the Baptist shows up, this really weird guy who's wearing a really weird outfit of, made of camel's hair, and he's eating bugs, and he's eating wild honey. And it's this really strange people, and people start speculating, is this, is this Jesus? Is, or they don't even know his name yet. Is this the guy? Is this the coming Lord? And it's not. John the Baptist, what's he saying? He's saying, prepare the way for the Lord. One more powerful than I is coming, and I can't even stoop down. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie this guy's sandals. I'm baptizing you with water. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And this was very good. People were coming to John the Baptist. They were leaving Jerusalem and Judea, and they were coming to John the Baptist, and they were being baptized, and they were confessing their sins. And it was almost like the kingdom of God had begun its inauguration. But where was John the Baptist? Where was he doing this? He was in the wilderness. He wasn't in the comfort of his parents' home much like myself, peeking for presents and putting up Christmas decorations. He was in the wilderness. <sighs> Do you ever feel like you have found yourself in the wilderness? Generally speaking, it's not a place, at least that I like to go, 
willingly. The wilderness, when I hear the wilderness, it's not somewhere I want to go. It's usually not a fun place. It's usually not an easy place to be. It's usually not an easy place in which to reside. And the Israelites had found themselves in the wilderness before, many, 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 many years before John the Baptist was there baptizing people in the River Jordan. It was after they had been delivered uh, from Egypt. They were delivered from Egyptian captivity, and then they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. And so Israel, at the time of John, was very familiar with the wilderness and the purpose that it had served for them and the hardship that it had brought upon them as a people. And now that's where people are going. They're leaving their homes. They're leaving their cities. They hear this guy proclaiming that God is coming, and they're wondering if this is God in the flesh. And so they're going back into the wilderness, and they're not just going back to the wilderness. They're being baptized there. And they're confessing all these things they've done wrong. And I'll, in a couple minutes here, define what the wilderness is. Before I do that, though, like I was kind of just saying, New Beginnings, I don't really like the wilderness. In fact, I don't know if this is good or not, but if I'm being honest, I think I might hate it. I don't know if it's good to have hate in my heart for a place that God calls us to be, but I really do not like that place. Much like the Israelites, I get really anxious, and I complain, and I cry out, ah, woe is me, this wilderness is hard. And I'm not, I'm not saying, with John the Baptist, prepare the way for the Lord. I'm more or less saying, why hasn't the way been prepared for me? I'm not saying repent, for the Lord is near. I'm saying I've repented, and the Lord feels all but near. In fact, the Lord feels very far. And yet here's John fulfilling the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, preparing the way of the Lord in the wilderness. So what is the wilderness? If you look at Israel's history, as we were kind of just talking about, they found themselves in the wilderness before. When they were in the wilderness, and when you study the scriptures, you find the wilderness isn't so much a geographical location, though it, it is, it is that. But the meaning of the wilderness more has a theological meaning. When they were in the wilderness, they couldn't really see where they were going, and it was hard. And in the wilderness, God had kind of asked, more or less, that they leave behind their preconceived notions of what it means to anticipate God. As a kid and as a teenager, I was anticipating Christmas through decorations and through presents, and that's good. That's fine. I'm not saying that's wrong. But after Israel had been delivered from Egypt, they kind of had in their minds what it would be like to be with God and to wait for God, and God kind of asked them to leave behind those preconceived notions and those expectations. I do want to make a clear distinction very quickly before I proceed I do not want anyone walking away from this place thinking that God wills for us to suffer. That is not true. That is not good. And if I preach that, smack me on the face. I give you permission. And Megan, I have no doubt, will follow me up on that. And it'll hurt. God does not will for us to suffer. And so when God asks us to come, 
through the wilderness, it is not for the sake of suffering. We'll get, we'll get to why in a little bit. I just want to make it very clear that that is not the way of God, that is not the way of Christ, that is not the way of the Spirit. So God calls, or God led Israel into the wilderness. John's in the wilderness. And there's no wilderness in God without a promise. Back after Israel had been delivered from Egyptian captivity, there was the promise of the promised land, that they would be delivered from this wilderness, and that God would deliver them in the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Many of you have read the scriptures. If not, read the books, the books of Exodus and Numbers. You'll learn a lot. <clears throat> and so the wilderness is kind of this place of anticipation of God's promises. And so in this Mark passage that we just read, what or who, who is probably the better way to word it, is God's promise? Jesus, the most Sunday school answer. And this time it's actually the right answer. Jesus, the, the promise the promised one, the promised Messiah, the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace. You know who shows up in the very next verse in Mark 1, 1 through 8, at this point, 9 and 10? Jesus. Sunday school answer. Jesus, God in the flesh, all of who God is, this holy God of goodness who is wholly other from that which is not good, enters into the wilderness, into this place of anxiety and of anticipation. And not just that, but theologically, God enters into a very death-filled creation. And God enters it through the person of Jesus. And when Jesus enters the wilderness, Jesus is baptized by John. John is not baptized by Jesus. The creator is baptized by the creature. And in the moment of Jesus being plunged into this death-filled humanity, humanity by someone who has fallen short of the glory of God, because we all have read that in Romans, or at least I'm sure a good number of us have, this holy God is baptized by someone who is unholy, though John was doing good work. And in this moment when Jesus is plunged into this sin-filled humanity and in this sin-filled creation, he comes up, and when he comes up, verse 10 says that the heavens tore open and the Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. And God says, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. In the wilderness. Jesus' lordship is affirmed in a place of sin and in a place of wilderness. And this is a person of whom John was speaking. He wasn't like me or the Israelites in the wilderness. He wasn't crossing his arms in dissatisfaction. He wasn't saying, woe is me, life is hard. He was pointing towards the Lord. He was pointing towards the gospel. And I learned something in my preparation, speaking of the word gospel, I learned something in my preparation for this sermon. It's crazy how when you read books, you learn things. I wish I would have known that when I was in high school. <laughs> Teenagers, pay attention. I've learned that the word gospel in the time of Mark and in the time that John was doing everything that he was doing, I learned that gospel is actually kind of a politicized term. 
It meant joyful tidings, which that's, that's good. Joyful tidings is good. But gospel was associated with the cult of the emperor of the day. And what they would do in this gospel is they would party and they would celebrate this person, this emperor, and they would celebrate his rise to power. And they would look back at all the good things that this emperor has done. And it was very retrospective, looking back and what this person had done, and looking back at the joyful tidings inaugurated by the emperor. And at the time when gospel and doing these things, these celebrations, was very politicized, you have John, who's pointing forward. He's pointing toward the time of salvation, toward the time of the Lord, toward the time of the promised Messiah. You have John, who's a messenger of joy, in the wilderness, announcing the time of salvation and thereby introducing it. That is how John prepared the way. He pointed forward. He didn't dwell and just sit with his arms folded like I've done a countless number of times. Like I've done this week. You have John who's pointing forward towards the coming Lord and saying, hey, this might not be how we want to wait But in this waiting where we leave behind our preconceived notions, God comes in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he is baptized. The creator is baptized by the creature. The Lord of all is baptized. And his lordship is affirmed. Just like Israel had certain preconceived notions of who God would be when he showed up, maybe a powerful political figure, maybe someone with a crown of gold, just like that had been turned upside down and God was crowned with a crown of thorns. So maybe the way that we are to anticipate the coming of the Lord is also being turned upside down. In a culture of comfort and of self-gratification and of individualism that preaches the gospel of do what you want, God says, wait, Be patient. I am coming. Church, may we be like John the Baptist in the wilderness. Not like myself or the Israelites, blinded by fears or false expectations or false hopes. But during Advent, may we point towards Jesus and towards the coming Lord. May we prepare the way as people talk to us about the Advent season and the Christmas season, may we point them towards Jesus, someone whose sandals we aren't worthy to untie, and yet someone who died on a cross and was tortured so that we might live. Someone who who baptizes with the Spirit and who allows the creature to baptize him. Someone who was born in a manger in a place where literally animals are born, because his parents were refugees fleeing persecution and they didn't want to die and they didn't want their son to die. Someone who meets us in the wilderness of our lives where we don't know where we're going and where we're scared and where we're anxious and where we're terrified. May we point towards Jesus in those fears. And may we know that Jesus is coming, that the long-expected Messiah The Prince of Peace is coming. And may we know that he is Lord. Would you pray with me?